Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. JR. And uh, JR has assumed the uh, the Jonathan way of introducing himself, where he doesn't say, I'm JR, he just says, JR. Remember how Jonathan used to do that? Jonathan yeah. used to say, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think he hated it. So introducing early in the morning. Right, right. right. It's a rare, uh, <laughs> a rare treat. We're recording at 10 in the morning. Yeah. We normally record very uh, late in the afternoon or in the afternoon, regardless. But uh, today, it's been a while, so we're trying to make it happen. Early as possible, 10 in the morning, episode 85. This week's episode is JR's pick, Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious, which is JR's favorite, or I should say, has been JR's favorite Hitchcock film. Will it maintain the mantle of favorite Hitchcock? Obviously, it will. <laughs> great, great TV tease. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how are you guys doing today? Doing good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to be back. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I've been missing Miss it. This. Missing it a lot. And I've been watching so much stuff. And I almost had to... I have, in fact, curbed myself a little bit. Because I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to talk about things. And I'm going to want to talk about these movies if I watch them. You know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah. So it's like... Like, I started downloading First Cow this morning. And I was like, I... I can't watch First Cow because I'm going to want to discuss that way more than is appropriate <laughs> for this length of this episode, you know? Yeah. Considering how how much other stuff I have to talk about. So, But, um, yeah, okay. Well, uh, I mean, without further add to, to do, further add, I don't know. Without further stuff, let's talk about what we watched. <laughs> Who wants to begin? I'll begin this okay, week. Okay, nice. So... I watched uh, Clear and Present Danger, starring okay. Harrison Ford and Willem Dafoe yeah. and Henry Cherney and a couple and, uh, of, couple other people. Tuco from Breaking Bad. He plays the sniper. Oh, yeah. That's Very right. young version. Yeah. yeah. So, I get the feeling that one day, Taylor Sheridan was just sitting around the house. He saw Clear oh. and Present Danger on TV, and he's like, you know what? This is really a shit movie, but it's got an interesting concept in in the uh, you know what's going on. Uh, the plot, yeah, yeah, the plot, because like it's it's very very similar to Sicario. Like there's um, like a rich a rich person gets uh, murdered. Uh, they decide that they're going to make the cartels into terrorist groups. Uh, there's a guy on. There's a guy on the. They inside. really do that. They make the cart. They declare the cartel yes. terrorists. Yes. Oh, that's disappointing. I really thought that was. That's one of my favorite things about Sicario. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the second Sicario, I think, is when they do that. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite things. I can't believe that he lifted that from Clancy. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, yes, it's very, very much a similar concept. But Sicario and Soldado are infinitely better I as mean, movies. Yeah, sure. Because sure. I just want to say, Donald Moffat plays the president yeah. in this movie, and he is fucking awful. Really? Yeah. Like I, I think remember that, I think loving there's... the scenes with the scene where him where he says uh, when he does the, the I don't dance scene or whatever at the end when he's talking to uh, Jack Ryan, 
and he says you'll you'll he's like you'll 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 curtsy around whatever he keeps saying you'll do these things and then Harrison Ford says I don't dance sir <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember loving that it's been a long time since I've seen this movie but. Uh, uh, yeah I mean there's a there's a scene where like oh, I'm the president of the United States <laughs> Jimmy Stewart basically <laughs> but yeah he he was he was awful um, too bad. But yeah, um, I don't. The rest of the movie, like the movie, is entirely too long. It's over two hours, which is an action thriller. Just no, unless sure. unless you know. Again, it's written by somebody good like Taylor Sheridan. Hmm. Um, and yeah, like the acting is pretty mediocre, except for Willem Dafoe, who I'll talk about again later in another movie. And I think like. There is not a like direct comparison, but Willem Dafoe is kind of like the Benicio del Toro. He's like the guy who's been on the inside for a long time and kind of knows the ins and outs. And you know the the writers of this film, I, I didn't realize. I'm just looking up who wrote it because mm-hmm. you're saying you know Taylor, Taylor Sheridan, John Milius, and no. Steve, Steven Zalian, who Ouch. co-wrote a lot of uh, Spielberg films. <laughs> Every movie they've made sucks. Not John Milius. Okay, how dare you? Milius how rules. dare you besmirch Conan the Barbarian? I thought you were saying. No. I thought you were saying about Zalian though that his stuff does suck because I was like, some of his stuff is good. <laughs> yeah, he did uh, Falcon and Snowman, right? Zalian was that him? Did he write? I don't know. Maybe or, I don't think so. Maybe I could be wrong. Who knows? Right. Who fucking knows? We saying that movie doesn't suck. Search. He, he wrote Searching for Bobby Fisher, which I love. He wrote Schindler's List. He wrote. Uh, oh, right, right, right. He wrote The Night of, which is a HBO show that was pretty good. I don't. I don't think Steven. I don't think he sucks. I, I think he can do sucky Look things. Who's backpedaling but... over here? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he wrote Gangs of New York for God's sake. And oh, yeah, um, right, right. I don't know why it's giving him a credit for Moneyball because I don't think he wrote Moneyball. Maybe like Script Doctor or something. Yeah, maybe. Didn't know what's his face write Moneyball? The Mammoth Light. What's his name? The guy who did West Wing? Oh, uh, Sorkin. Sorkin. Yeah, Sorkin. Yeah. Mammoth Light. Um, <clears throat> anyway, sorry. Go ahead. But yeah, um, yeah, two and a half. That's a bummer. Well, I think I think you know it's probably it's probably it's probably less that uh, uh, Sheridan was watching this film and got inspired by it than he was a Clancy fan. I could see him being yeah, a Tom yeah. Clancy fan for sure, like yeah. reading his books because it, it's like Clancy's like. From what I understand, I've never read a Clancy book. From what, from what I've told, uh, heard from people who have read him, this is like extremely dry and procedural and stuff. So, mm, which right. makes sense because Sheridan mm-hmm. is extremely procedural as well. Right. All right. Well, uh, I watched, and I'm sorry if uh, this. I, I, I'm assuming Jared's is not going to want to talk about this later on, so I'm just going to talk about it now. It's Popeye the Sailor Man meets Sinbad. Sinbad the Sailor. Sinbad the Sailor. I didn't write the two two sailors. Yeah, so uh, this is on movie. This is a short uh, Popeye cartoon from the 30s, and uh, the only reason I really want to mention is because uh, did you watch this? No, I okay. I knew that there was something else on movie that I needed to watch yeah. besides Family Romance, and he dumb. And it bastard. was not. The I know. Short. It was not the Popeye short. I promise. Yeah, the, okay, hang on though. The, the Popeye <laughs> short. The Popeye short. Okay, no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, it's probably on YouTube, though. I mean, also. it probably is, yeah. Uh, maybe. The only reason I want to mention is because I thought it was fascinating that they used... I've never seen this done before. It's it's 2D animated. It's drawn animation. But they use, like, 
actual sets like made out of like I don't know if they're clay or something. I don't know what it is. Like the mountains in some scenes and stuff. And they're animating how they did that. They're animating on top of them, I'm assuming with glass. Mm. Which seems just like insane for the time period. I thought I was like, that's like some Disney shit that they you know. <laughs> yeah. But I've never seen anybody animate like that on top of like a like a live set outside of, you know, something mm. like uh whatever the the Disney movies with the live actors and the and the cartoons. But um <laughs> I can't. I don't know. Mary Poppins. No, not Mary Poppins. Is it Mary Poppins? Mary Poppins, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Sure. Uh, Sure. Cool World, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Cool World and and, uh, uh, Monkey Bone. Anyway, yeah, so movies like that. But uh, this is, you know, obviously like 80 years before Mm. that and 20 years before the, the Mary Poppins. So I thought it was pretty interesting. That's all I wanted to say about it, really. But I mean, I enjoy, I mean, I enjoyed it as much as you can enjoy a. My my daughter really liked it a lot. I'll say that yep. mm. she really enjoyed I, it more than I thought she would. I was not upset. I turned on that sixteen minute short. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. You know, like I think the so far my only problem with movie mo, movie is the Roku app seems <sighs> pretty clunky. Yeah. Like I didn't find anywhere that you could like search for stuff. You can't. You can search oh, for stuff inside inside the library uh, mm-hmm. of but the app. But is that on the Roku app? I don't know. It's on the Apple app now. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, that's cool. Okay. It's still not on the. Uh, I'm using. <laughs> I, I was using a Roku app most of the time. Now I'm using a uh, Android TV app. That's brutal. TV. You guys and, need to uh, upgrade, my friend. Apple TV for life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's like 150 bucks or something. It's not that bad. A month? No, it's just a device. I, I know. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Telling my parents, you pay for it by the month. <laughs> no, the my my new my new TV, which I'm generally quite happy with, is a Andrew Andrew Android uh, <laughs> Android TV operating system, and there are a couple of like the you know a couple of the not mega company apps just get glitchy and like sure. you have to like force shut them down sometimes Ugh. like on a phone and it it, it blows yeah that part blows i'd and rather die that's the worst and i use movie all the time yeah i know right <laughs> that's the yeah. worst i that's why i love i just i mean i'm not you know do what you got to do but i i tell yeah. you i've never apple tv i i had uh my playstation 4 and i was using it as my media device for like a month and I wanted to kill myself. It was the mm. worst thing ever. I had That's, to, the second I got my stimulus check, I went and bought an Apple TV. Mm. Had to be no, done. I, I remember, I remember using, uh, depending on the TV, either an Xbox three or a PlayStation three. And those were, those were dark days. Oh yeah. Mm. yeah. They're br- And I still know people who, who use PS four as their, th- I don't understand how they do it. And they're using their controller to, to like nav, I'm just like, wait, so it's the worst. I'm doing it to, I'm doing it to play Blu-ray right now because a friend borrowed my Blu-ray player and will not bring it back to me, and I am will not uh, stole it. Well, keeps keeps forgetting to uh, yeah. forgetting. Like, I need my Blu-ray player back, dude. Right? Yeah, that's brutal. Oh, I do use my PS4 for Blu-ray because I bought a, uh, I bought the the normal controller, like the oh, right, actual right. Blu-ray player right. controller. Yeah, yeah. So that's again, I'm on, I'm on PS3 still. Oh my, Jesus! Uh, well, <laughs> my normal yeah. controller broke a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Out. That's rough, man. PS5's coming out soon, so mm. it's gonna be a 4K player. So, yeah, I'm probably not gonna buy that. 
<laughs> anyway, Jr. Kids. Um, although I'm gonna have a kid, so maybe I do need a game system. Yeah, you do. Mm. That's what I'll tell my wife. Right. My baby's gonna need to play video games <laughs> at age zero. Exactly. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Um. So I went on to Criterion Channel and watched a uh, a new release, a new release of a a very old movie, and I'm jumping into this before I jump into a bunch of uh, Spike Lee movies I, I I watched. Uh, but yeah, I watched uh, Cane River. This was uh, made in 1982, and after it was shown at like a couple festivals, and for uh, this director Horace B. Jenkins' friends, uh, he had a heart attack at a, like you know I think he's like age 40, 41, something around there, uh, and died. And the movie was just shelved forever, and it was found in like um, I don't know some company's like garage lot. Of, of movies and it was restored and it was released earlier this year and it's a Romeo and Juliet romance kind of set or not kind of set it is set in a rural Louisiana in a uh, Creole community around uh, Natchitoches so for uh, for our Louisiana fans it's like halfway between Alexandria and Shreveport as you're going north and it um yeah it, it includes a lot of just kind of local flavor and a lot of race relations that only kind of make sense in Louisiana, just with Louisiana's kind of weird history. Uh, it's set in a real community called the Cane River community. It's like the historic Cane River uh, free Creole people of color community. And it was, uh, it was still, it, I mean, it's still there and it's comprised of free people of color. Although, you know, whatever that means now. And uh, it's complicated because to the average white American in the 1800s, Creoles were definitely not white, but uh, the class had enough like regional status for many to become plantation and even slave owners before the civil war. So this story concerns one guy who gets back from college, comes back to Cane river, uh, kind of falls for this poor girl working at a plantation as a tour guide. Um, and the sort of uh, Romeo and Juliet-ness of it concerns, like, he is this higher Creole class. It turns out that his, like, great-grandparents owned slaves in the area after being freed. And so uh, the girl's family hates them. Just, they're you know, it's kind of like a race traitor kind of thing. And she's darker-skinned. Uh, and after all that setup, it's a pretty low stakes it's like a pretty chill 80s romance uh this isn't a kind of romeo and juliet movie where anyone dies it's more like people just get mad at each other and otherwise uh hang out and look pretty because they're very pretty people um and it's worth i mean it's just worth watching as this kind of cultural artifact that didn't see the light of day that's it cool it's a three and a half out of five probably with with some inflation due to my personal interest it's it's very cheap uh a lot of the actors are not professionals and it shows and it's uh i mean this guy clearly had very little money to to shoot this movie but yeah if you can get past that it's good i might look at that <laughs> been trying to get my money's worth out of all these different apps i'm paying for so yeah well, and it's also on a canopy if you don't have Criterion Collection. Cool. See, that just, just makes me mad because I'm paying for Criterion Collection. 
There's a bunch of extra features on uh, on the Criterion channel that aren't on Canopy, but it's like those don't matter. It's like uh, I started watching um, the Rivette film Out Out One on Mubi, yeah. and then I was like, and it's you know it's like nine or thirteen hours long or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's long, yeah. I think I watched half an hour of the first episode, and I was actually really getting into it, and I was like, God, I really want to watch this. Uh, but I was like, I have so many other things that I have that I need. I feel like I need to watch including some TV stuff. And then I looked at it's on canopy. I'm just like, this <laughs> takes away any incentive I have to make sure I get this done before it leaves movie because it's on canopy and it's probably yeah. going to be in the movie library anyway. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Just... The, um, I was really annoyed that, you know, HBO max started up and like, mm. I don't know, a third of the like actual movies in the criterion collection that yeah. are on criterion channel are also on HBO max. Yeah. So that was weird. Yeah, but, it's. You know, uh, I just wish they would just all merge into anywhere. like one app that I could pay, you know, like twenty nine ninety nine for or something like that. You know? Yeah, <laughs> or like a one time fee of like a hundred dollars. Never, yeah. never pay again. <laughs> I, you know, I get the the Rivet one, the Out one. Like, yeah. thank God for Canopy that has like never been available mm-hmm. on DVD in the U.S. and it's. Watching like a thirteen-hour thing on your computer sucks. So, Canopy's doing great work. It is annoying when Mubi shows things that are so readily available, and that's I don't know. Like half oh, the agree. things they show, half the things they show are nowhere, and the other half are on Prime or somewhere else that they're just mm. like highlighting with a a nice little essay to go with it on the website. But, yeah, I agree. That is annoying. I feel like you're getting cheated a little bit. Mm. Kevin, uh, just a quick side note. So, like, I made a list of all of the Scorsese movies that I needed to log for my upcoming uh, list, and I saw that Cape Fear is no longer on Netflix. So that kind of irritated me. I should have let me now know. Now it's on like, fucking Showtime or I whatever. I kind of brought it over for you. Oh, I think yeah. I have most of his films on physical media. Oh, okay, so. yeah. What about a uh, boxcar? I don't have that. That's a Twilight Time release, and I never got oh. it. I, I never got it because, um, as far good? as I know, he's not terribly proud of it. And I remember uh, reading a quote about Cassavetes, like saying it was a piece of shit. And <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of always like it feels like a completionist thing, and I, I'll see it yeah, eventually. But yeah. I'm not super hyped about it. Yeah, same. Like I, I know fair. it was very much like 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 in the interviews that I've seen with him, like. Uh, like when he's talking about like making Taxi Driver, like he's saying that Boxcar was just a Roger Corman assignment, but like he learned a lot of things, like right. like working on a schedule, working on a budget, et cetera, et cetera, from Boxcar. So it was good in that respect. But but yeah, I, I just want to be able to say I've seen all of his feature films. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I just haven't. Uh, it, I don't know. It's just you know, Scorsese's garbage is still better Ex- than yeah yeah your average director's yeah. movie. I, I don't. Yeah, you're right. That boxcar birth is, of all of the movies is probably not worth a ton of your time, but it's, it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, I mean, even though I didn't enjoy New York, New York, very much at all. No, like, I haven't it's, seen that it's either. still. I, I still say, yeah. Like, I gave it a two and a half, but I think it's still worth seeing because, like, um, yeah, it's Scorsese and De Niro and De Niro. And Liza Minnelli, who's fucking amazing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Depends on the day. I don't know about that. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen her in anything. So, I mean, you never seen Cabaret? No. Shit. What? Uh, Arrested Development? No, I never watched that. I, okay. I watched like two episodes of that with an ex-girlfriend, and uh, she was really into too busy, it. Too busy watching Roseanne. Yeah, Roseanne is oh, much right. better. <laughs> Roseanne rules. <laughs> Norm MacDonald wrote for Roseanne. It's a great show. <laughs> the Connors is excellent also. <laughs> I love The Connors. <laughs> I don't know why I said that joke. That was a mistake. <laughs> I'm going to talk about some TV later on. Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> so, Dark City. Okay, I, I want to apologize because I actually thought about watching this about four times in the last week, right. and I just never got off my couch to get it off the shelf to watch. <laughs> I was like, I'd just rather stream something. Yeah. I, I have mean, it on my shelf to watch. Right, like, right. <laughs> this, is, this, this is fatherhood. Just, yeah. <laughs> this is, we're staying on the couch, sweetie. Exactly. Well, she was, she's running around, but, you know, it's like I'm not, I'm not getting up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah, you can get up and move around, but you can't, like, get too far away. That's you know, like true, you gotta yeah. you gotta stay in the near vicinity, um, but yeah, dark dark city like it's pretty freaking good. Like, um, like honestly, like I I know I'm in the minority here, but like the my biggest beef with the movie is my biggest beef with just about anything that he's in. William Hurt. No, I I just don't I just don't get. I just don't get his appeal. I don't. Have you seen Altered States? This guy is a genius. <laughs> I, I, tell, tell I will, what, I will Kevin, watch you're... Altered States. I will watch uh, what was uh, broadcast broadcast news. Broadcast he's, news. He's good in that. I don't like that. I don't love that movie, but okay. he's good in that. Yeah. Right. Uh, there are some '80s Academy voters that are going to come for your head. Okay. <laughs> Accidental tourist. Golden, oh. golden child. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's in. You know what he's really great in? Actually, my, my I, I like for for real. He used to be like one of my favorite actors. And mm. um, please don't say it. Don't say what I think you're gonna say. Altered States is probably my favorite performance of his. Okay. Second to that would be uh, the James Marsh film, The King. I don't know if you guys have seen The King with mm-hmm. Gail Garcia Bernal and William Hurt. Yeah. Yeah, he's amazing in The King. Okay. And have you seen this? No. I'll let you borrow it. I have the okay, DVD. Cool. It's amazing. It's a really terrific performance by William Hurt. It's the movie is pretty good. And Paul Dano's in it's early performance from Paul Dano. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah, it's it's pretty solid. James cool. Marsh has since uh done a lot of trash narrative stuff, but uh he he, ah. he directed that um Oscar winning documentary about the guy who tightrope walked across the Man Twin up, Towers. Man above wire. Man on wire. Yes. Man on wire. Anyway, sorry. William Hurt rules. You're wrong. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and I was also like, like having watched The Matrix so recently, like there's some shots that are like straight out of The Matrix. Like, um,. Like a shot from above where you see the roof of a car pull in to, um, to the side of a building. Like, like it's pretty much the same shot, same lighting, maybe even like the same model car or like extremely similar <laughs> to it. Now, like, I mean, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think that the Wachowskis were necessarily ripping off, um... Uh, 
Dark City, I mean, like, they probably saw it, like, way before it started to, you know, like, actually be released. Because, you know, they're directors. They can... They well, can I mean, there's things. a lot of, uh, like, cyber <clears throat> retro goth stuff happening in the yeah. 90s. Like, the 13th floor and... Yeah, uh, yeah. Dark City and even The Crow, I would say, could be an influence on the visual oh, yeah. style of The Matrix yeah, to like, some extent. You know? I've been thinking, like, if if I can ever, like, actually dedicate the time to it. Like, I was actually thinking about writing an essay about early 90s gothic horror movies. Because they're, like, you go down the list, there's so many of them. Like, you got... You got your Dracula, you got your Frankenstein, and then you also have, like, personally, I consider uh, Flatliners, mm. which I didn't end up getting to watch, R.I.P. Joel Schumacher. But, um... <clears throat> Joey Shoes! Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that one, and, uh... Mary Riley? Yeah. That, Julia Roberts Yeah, film. Mary Riley, and there's, um... I mean, no, could, Othello uh, wouldn't be. Wouldn't you could be put the crow in there, even yeah, though the, it's not technically horror, but I mean, it has horror elements. Yeah. Well, like the the way I look at like gothic now, like uh, I was watching an interview with Alan Moore, and he was talking about how like it's the the fantastic weight of the past honing in on the pre- heading to a f- what do you say terrifying denouement in the present day. Mm. And, like, I just see that so much with so many movies that were made about that time, late 80s, early 90s. Oh, in Burton films, I mean. Yeah, 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 for sure. Edward Scissorhands and the Batman films. Yeah, yeah. Especially two. Yeah, so I think that would be an interesting thing to do. It's a good idea. Do it. Yeah. Were you done talking about Dark City? Dark City fucking rules. Uh, (laughs) And you watched the 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 theatrical cut, you said? No, this time I watched the director's cut. Oh, you watched the director's cut. But it's been so long since I saw it the last time that I couldn't tell you the differences between between either of them. I think there's different... I think the main ones are like in the that final battle, the mind battle or whatever that happens at the mm. end of it. Yeah. But uh, this, the set design, the atmosphere of the movie is amazing. Um, yeah, it's very, very well done. Proyas' best film? Easy. And I yes. love The Crow. I prefer The Crow. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. The Crow I, is a masterpiece. <laughs> I love. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I won't. I won't argue that it's not a masterpiece. But in the moment, I enjoyed Dark City. More. I mean, yeah, I, I might rewatch Dark City and like it better. I don't know, but Maybe. I've always liked it. But uh, yeah, I've always. But yeah, the Crow is fucking crow. great. And that's a long what time since I've seen Knowing. Knowing. <laughs> <laughs> How about Gods of Egypt? Got to give them all a shot here. Never saw that one. I Robot. It's too bad he only did two movies. <laughs> anyway, uh, I watched. Uh, okay, so I'm 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 gonna have to get into my uh, my Spike Lee here now. I watched uh, a ton of Spike Lee. I think actually Jr. <laughs> he started late, but ended up watching more Spike Lee than me. Yeah, he had to make up for lost time because yeah. he was away for a week. So I watched. Um, yeah. He he got game. Which is from 1998, I think, and uh, that was the first one on my list too. Stars Denzel and uh, the basketball player guy. I forget his name. What's his name? What's his actual Ray name? Ray Allen. Ray Allen. Yeah, plays uh, Jesus Shuttlesworth, and uh, just an amazing name. <laughs> Spike's Spike's names that he gives his characters are absolutely insane. They like they, they they are so out of like left field. Like n- hardly any of them make any sense. Like. You, you like Mookie, 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And do the right thing. He's Mookie. He's just such just such bizarre weirdo names that can't be real. But um, yeah, so he got game is uh, about a Denzel who's a, a convict. He's in prison, and the uh, warden wants to uh, let him out because the governor wants his son, who's like the number one draft pick, to be to go to his college. Right, big state. Big state, state, yeah, big state university. (laughs) A great, again, just a bizarre, just like a fantasy land name, you know. Yeah, big, big gate, big state university. So yeah, so he lets him out to convince his son to uh, do that, and that's what the film is essentially. And it's uh, he's got some issues with his son. He uh, he's in jail for killing his mother, (laughs) for for instance. And um, but you find out later that that's not maybe true. Treat it as a reveal. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm. But uh, I had seen this movie once before. It had been a long time. And I remember not being thrilled about it. But this rewatch, I'll tell you, I loved it. I loved it. Especially, I mean, just, you just, Spike Lee is such a great director. Like, he just got, he doesn't get enough credit for how, like, well he composes shots and, the 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 music that he chooses to use i think all the music here is uh it's all source music it's all like um it's not gershwin it's uh the guy the pace picani sauce ads that guy anyways it's all music from that composer and uh and it's just like it just works so well they even use that track and it just works so well with all this like slow mo basketball stuff at the beginning and the credits uh Denzel's performance in this is terrific, like really good. He's just a control. I mean, watching him, his performances in these, especially Malcolm X, which I'll talk about, just a super control that he has over what he's doing. You know, he knows exactly when to get animated and when not to be animated. He's just a great, great actor. And I mean, a lot's been said about Denzel as an actor, but I mean, I, I feel like he kind of moved into that movie star strata where people stop talking about how good of an actor he is, you know, mm. like Tom Cruise or uh, even Bruce Willis back in the day, you know, yeah. <clears throat> these guys actually have, you know, genuine talent when they're, when they're presented with great material and from a, 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 a great artist like Lee. But uh, JR, what'd you think of he got game? So I, I felt very similarly about Denzel. I even wrote like, he's a, Denzel's character is just like a force. He is an asshole and he is also a saint and every line that he speaks works even when it's part of a thread that I think otherwise totally doesn't. And this this movie does have threads that I think do not work at all. Like the whole Mia Jovovich hooker with a heart of gold subplot should I just I don't know why it's there. It's uh it does nothing. For me, besides get uh, Denzel laid, and that you know that makes him happy. That's good, good for Denzel. Uh, and then also, you know, like, there's actually there's just like women stuff in this movie that I don't like. Like Rosario Dawson's character is just like the she's all she is is the gold digging girlfriend. She's like nothing more. Um, even the mom is just like this saint we see in flashbacks. But uh, you know, other than that, even like. Spike is cramming so much stuff in this movie. Like it's about guilt and it's about community and living vicariously through your offspring and athlete celebrity culture and college recruiting shenanigans. And like when I turned this on, I was like, how is this fucking basketball movie 140 minutes long? And uh, that's how, (laughs) that's how it's 140 minutes long. Um, It is 
I don't know. It's far from perfect, but it's just Denzel and this is like a very kinetic Spike Lee uh, direction job. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) but it's a visual feast. And uh, so I give it a three point seven five out of five. I gave it a four and a half. I just, I, I, yeah, it was, just, it really, it really struck me. And I agree with the Mila Jovovich stuff. Uh, it could probably be jettisoned, um, but I do like uh, whatever that guy's name is, Thomas and Jeff, Thomas Jefferson Bird, the guy who plays uh, her pimp. I love yeah. that guy in all of the movies that he like. I watched, I rewatched Clockers. Oh, yeah. He's in that. I and uh, he's in he's, uh, uh, he uh, get on the bus. He like he's just great. I love that guy. He, he's he's like he's in all of them. He's in. Yeah. Uh, He's in fucking Chirac. He's that's right. Yeah, yeah. He's in Red Hook Summer and Just People of Jesus. He's he's in Bamboozle. He's still going. He's amazing. Mm. Yeah, I really like that he's guy. Great. I could have used a lot more of him, honestly. And he, I think, I think Mila Jo. I think the problem with the Mila Jovovich stuff is Mila Jovovich, and not that she's not good in the film. It's just that she's she feels miscast. Like she doesn't feel like she belongs. And I mean, part yeah. of it is I hate to say this, but like part of it is that she's. In my opinion, she's way too good looking for the part that she's playing. Like she's playing this like down and out hooker mm. in this like skeezy ten dollar night motel, and I'm just like, there's no way this woman would be in this situation. Like, right? She'd be modeling, which is what she actually does, or acting, which is what she actually does. You know? <laughs> yeah. She's just she's not a she doesn't look like a crack whore or anything like that. You know? Mm. Yeah. But it's a it's a small flaw for me. I, I really love the film a lot, and, and it's. I think Ray Allen as a basketball player and uh, you know a never actor does mm-hmm. was pretty good i thought he was terrific actually i remember the first time watching it thinking he was awful for some reason and then rewatching it now i'm just like he's actually like not bad like mm. he's obviously not at the level of the people around him but the people around him are kind of like giving him enough to bring him up you know yeah mm. and uh he's i mean yeah it's it, he was he, solid performance from ray allen I love the John Turturro scene where he's the coach and he comes in and talks to him. Oh my god, that like John Turturro again, just another <laughs> one, just amazing. I love John Turturro. Mm. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. So that's he got Kevin. game, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, should we talk Malcolm X? Sure, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I rewatched Malcolm X also. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll just get on a Spike Lee info dump. That's fine. Yeah. Three and a half hours of uh, Malcolm yeah. X. What do you think of it? Have you seen that? You've seen this before? Yeah, I had seen it once before and remembered liking it, but now I can appreciate so much more mm-hmm. about it and see, like, yeah, like I completely agree with what you were saying about Denzel. Like, people, you know, yeah, he's gotten to a stardom level where it's like, it's like, no, like what got him here was talent, mm-hmm. and the man, the man just knows what he's doing at yeah. at all times he's got the accolades to prove i mean he's not he's not one yeah. of these people I'm, I'm not saying like he's you know underrated or anything like obviously everybody knows denzel washington's a great actor he's yeah, got oscars yeah. but like yeah it just feels like you know you go back and watch these performances and i feel like malcolm x is kind of like one of these it's overshadowed by because he didn't win for it it's overshadowed by things that he did win for you know yeah yeah and maybe more flashy performances because again he's he's super controlled in this movie he's not He's not doing mm. a lot of like, you know, there's not a lot of like, it's a lot of speeches. It's not a lot of him screaming or anything like that. You know, he never gets demonstrative, really. He's just, it, only in his speeches is he really demonstrative. Yeah, yeah. And like, and in the speeches, he, like, when he needs to use the power of yeah. an orator, he yeah. does. And he delivers. And yeah, like, and he, 
that's that scene where the dude's like like he walks into the bar and the guy's making fun of his clothes and it's like <laughs> let me get you a drink and breaks the bottle over the guy's head and he's just like you shouldn't have done that man yeah you just shouldn't have done that that was fucking brilliant yeah he's yeah he's i mean i i, I like the i mean i think the film is obviously um it's Spike's biggest film, you know. It's like it's it covers the most ground, and it's got mm. the. It, I don't think it. I honestly, I don't even know that it has the biggest budget, but it looks like it has the biggest budget. Like it's. I, yeah. I looked up the budget. And I think it was actually relatively small, but mm. um, which is insane. I wonder if that's Inside Man, just because that, I, of yeah, what it, Inside Man is probably yeah yeah probably um, or Miracle of Saint Anna. Oh, that's that's true. I forgot about that one. Yeah. That's one of the ones I haven't watched yet. Yeah, I did Good. see Inside Man, and I'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you see, I mean, it's a yeah. So it had a let's see, sorry, it had a thirty-five million dollar budget, mm. which is, I mean, that's that's big for for ninety-two, but yeah. still, you know, not not. It just feels like this movie had a hundred million dollar budget. Like, is there so much? costumes and 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 set design that is just like insane like there are shots that literally look down the street for like a mile and a half and there's just nothing but like classic cars and people in costumes yeah yeah it's just crazy i mean it looks i mean it's that's kind of stuff that really impresses me um but uh but yeah i mean i thought i thought it was incredibly well directed if not Mm. a little bit conventional compared to spike's other stuff you could tell he's had a lot more respect for the material than maybe you Mm. know or treated it with more respect because of uh maybe fear of being lambasted by people in his community or something. Because I know that, uh, for instance, uh, he, he didn't uh, mention Louis Farrakhan in the film. Right. Because well, uh, Louis Farrakhan was threatening to, like, sue him if he said anything about him. Didn't he, like, also threaten to, like, kick his ass? Probably. I thought I, I, thought I read that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. That. But, yeah. And, um, like, I... I also watched there's a documentary on Netflix who killed Malcolm X mm. and like I would like seeing that documentary like it would come as no surprise that they would have like certain problems during production of this film because like th- through the documentary you see how much how how influential the Nation of Islam as an entity was and still kind of is to this day. Um, like, uh, it's not a perfect documentary. I think they're like, sometimes it focuses a little too much on the guy who's like doing the investigation, which not trying to take anything away from him. Cause he, he obviously spent like a huge amount of his life trying to piece together, like the actual murderer of Malcolm X. Um, cause like you find out that like, like, there was one guy who was involved in the assassination, but then two other guys went to jail and they had literally nothing to do with it. They just happened to be members of certain mosques and, you know, like their lives were ruined because of it. Um, but then it goes on later and you find out that like there's so like the shotgun blast was the shot that actually like killed Malcolm X. Like after the, after that, you know, it's just Lanyap with the extra shots. So they find out that, like, the guy who probably had the shotgun was probably this one guy. And, like, um, you start to learn that, like, he's been, like, basically protected by the Nation of Islam. And uh, 
the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's far-reaching hands. Well, the I think the film the film Malcolm X definitely paints. It's not. It's it's mm. a lot more. Uh, um, it's not shy about the idea that it's the Muslim community mm. that killed him. Like it's not. Yeah. I, I remember it being more vague than it is. It's actually really pretty much like saying that yeah, Elijah Muhammad killed him. Yeah, and without like, without in so many words, you know. Yeah, because like there's this in the movie and in the documentaries, like uh, you know, it comes out that this dude in his sixties is having children with teenagers, mm-hmm. and like you, like the documentary was made recently, and you know you would think with uh, you know Me Too and the speaking out movement now, like these sorts of things would get more press, but it seems like the people in at least the people that they interview in the documentary are very much like, whatever, man. Well, Elijah I mean, Muhammad has been dead for years. Well, yeah, but like, but the influence that he has had over these people, sure, is is like they're still like under under his thumb, even though he's been even though he's dead. Yeah, like they're they're still like making a staunch defense of him. So it's yeah. I uh, well, you know. I uh I think the film is fantastic. Yes. I think it's uh close to his best film. It's not quite his best, but it's <laughs> it's up there. Right. Anyways, JR. Yeah, I can't uh I can't wait to rewatch Malcolm X. Mm. I have I have it currently as my favorite Spike movie, oh, but boy. I have not watched I have not rewatched my three favorite. I, I need to rewatch Do the Right Thing and uh Fuck. Twenty fifth hour. What's the name of the Edward Norton movie? Yeah, 25th yeah. Hour. You know, it's Jesus. funny that you say that because I would have said before rewatching all these films or and watching some of these for the first time, I would have said Malcolm X was my favorite as well. But rewatching them, do the right thing is better in my opinion. Uh, it's just yeah. a, it's just it just by virtue of the fact that it's a tighter, uh, more energetic, more entertaining. And it's got the it's got all the th- thematic stuff going on, which is there in Malcolm X too. But it's also but it's it's like kind of um, overshadowed by the the true life, you know, the reality of what's going on. You know. Yeah, I, I remember loving uh, "Do the Right Thing" over a decade ago when I saw it. Um, but I, I, you know, I watched Malcolm X for the first time just a few years ago, and I think it just moved me so much in the moment that yeah. I just. Propelled it to the top, so I am curious to see how that shakes out. Awesome. I'm curious to see if 25th Hour is still as good as I remember it. I know, right? I, uh, I Speaking of, you know, you, you asked me about the film junk premium on of Spike Lee, and uh, that's one of the films that they really, really laud a lot. They say it's amazing. It's, oh, good. Yeah. Have you never seen it? I have many times. Okay. Yeah, I, I love okay. it. Right. I love Sorry. it, but uh, I've been a little scared to rewatch it uh, I'm going to rewatch it before I rank everything, but um, I've been scared to rewatch it just because I'm afraid it won't be as good as I remember it being. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. You know. All right. Well, uh, so I kind of went into, I prioritized uh, what I think of as like Spike Lee's like lost period, mm-hmm. you know, post uh, miracle at St. Anna. He seemed to have a lot of trouble getting things made and made uh, several really small movies. And, uh, one of those was Red Hook Summer, yes, which uh, stars Clark Peters um, in a pretty great role. But uh, it's about this teenager flick who is uh, from Atlanta, and he's just dropped off by his mom and the Red Hook Projects of Brooklyn to 
Stay the Summer with the grandfather he's never met, who is Clark Peters, plays like this hard ass preacher at this tiny church in Brooklyn that, you know, you never see more than 20 or so, you know, people in the congregation, um, even though Clark Peters is definitely like a big part of this community. Uh, and Flick just spends his days working at the church and hanging out with this uh, local girl, Chaz. And uh, the first hour is, it, it's hardly bearable. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it, I mean, it's a portrait of this community, but we see it through the eyes of this just petulant shit of a kid. Flick <laughs> uh, flicks sucks. And, uh, Flick and Chaz are, are, you know, played by first-time actors, and it shows, and you know, I I don't want to hate like that part of the movie, but I remember years ago I started this movie and turned it off because I was just like, nope, not doing this kid thing right now. Uh, but the it, it improves considerably in the second hour. Uh, Flick chills out, and uh, we spend more time with Peters, who uh, he's just he's just on this list of people that I think is is just great in almost anything. Um. And uh, there's, there is like a weird narrative wrench that Lee throws in, uh, right around 85 minutes, and uh, she gets pretty crazy, or crazy relative to the very low key chill vibe of the first half. Um, it is like, you don't think this is going to be one of like the you know big kind of thematic messes that's that Spike can do, uh, but then with that twist, uh, it definitely does become a movie that is thematically all over the fucking place. Not always in a good way, but it's not bad. Um, and Spike Lee shows up a couple of times as Mookie, still delivering pizzas for Sal's. Gotta get paid, so. gotta get paid. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen this, John? Yeah, I saw it the year it came <laughs> out. I loved it. Uh, but uh, but it's been, you know, since then, so it's been 10 years or whatever. Um, I, I really appreciated... Um, Spike Lee getting pretty like thorny and complicated with uh, with Christianity and yeah. churches and how they just are present in their communities, uh, but it is certainly not. I didn't. I did not think it was always elegant. That's so. fair. I remember he was uh, talking about. I watched an interview with him around that time, and he's talking about how like he was enjoying. He wanted to experiment with like the the seven D, the DSLRs, and everything, and like some of the shots in, in the movie are, are shot on that and uh, it like changes the aspect ratio and stuff like that, which is <laughs> kind of a, I, I imagine that when I rewatch it, that's, those are the kinds of things that I'm going to have a real problem with. This was kind of like the technical issues of it. But, uh, and I, cause I don't remember having any kind of problem with the, the, the child ch- children characters or their performances. But I mean, again, it's been a long time and I remember yeah. uh, really actually liking the, the twist that you're talking about, the kind of, uh, the thing that happens, uh, yeah. And thinking that was like, I thought it was like crazy ballsy to go there. And even the scene where it's revealed is like creepy and weird. And like, it's, you know, so it, it was, it was just absolutely insane. And also like one of, it was just a thing. I I don't, I guess I'd have to rewatch again. I just don't see how you could see it coming. That's just, yeah, that's fair. Yeah it's so out of left field and maybe that's uh why i i don't think it was like perfect <laughs> maybe uh, for it to be perfect you must telegraph to me that it is going that your twist is showing up that's and that's not fair. well i mean i guess uh, i guess if a twist comes and you don't see it coming and you're like 
you didn't see it coming because it's not at all, you know, in the narrative before that. And there's no reason to assume it's coming. Then it feels like cheap, like they're trying to shock you or something. Right. You know, but you know, and, and again, I think, you know, the twist is there so that Spike Lee can say some things about what he wants to talk about. And, and Spike does that in almost all of his movies. And that's, that's his thing. Yeah. And it's, it's often good. Uh, the name, you said his name uh, in reference to He Got Game, the pimp. What was his name? Thomas Jefferson Bird. Thank you. Thomas Jefferson Bird is the basically, they, basically, I think they call him like drunk uncle. He's like the drunk assistant to the preacher at the little <laughs> church. Uh, and he's great. Yeah, I need to. Yeah. This is in my stack to rewatch. I just, uh, I, I, I got kind of burned out because I watched so many so quick. And I started Summer of Sam, and then I stopped at like 10 minutes, and I was like, I just need a break, man. I just kind I, of... Yeah, and that's fair. And uh, Summer of Sam is on its way from Netflix right now. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's I, – I, a lot – his movies are so different. Even mm-hmm. – even there's there's so many like spike, spike-isms in all the movies, but they cover such different ground, and – you know, depending on like what era you're watching, they they look so different. Um, he he just has such a fascinating filmography, and I, I think jumping around in it has been nice. And I'm not I'm not sick of it. I agree. I liked um, I like I was thinking like when I started, I watched you know she's got to have it in school days back to back, and I was like. Ugh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, well, these these films. I didn't I didn't hate school. Uh, uh, she's got to have it. I thought it was fine. I don't. I didn't love it. But uh, School Days, obviously. I mean, that's bottom of the barrel for me. That's like his most messy, just kind of unentertaining, way over long. Uh, <laughs> you know, not interesting at all. Uh, you're you're describing a different Spike Lee movie right now, but I'll get to that <laughs> next week. <laughs> but um. But yeah, I mean, uh, but but it's interesting to see, like you're like you're saying, the spikeisms. You can see their birth in some of these films, like the the first time he uses the kind of floating floating character thing, you know, that he mm. does in almost all of his movies. Now he starts that in School Days at the very end. I mean, unless it happens and she's got to have it, I don't think it happens that she's got to have it. I don't think so. I think it happens at the very end of School Days when Lawrence Fishburne starts floating up into the sky, which is even kind of a different take than what normally happens. Yeah, but. Uh, but you know, and then one of my probably my favorite part of school days, honestly, outside of the I love the uh, the KFC confrontation in the parking lot. Really? I like days. the. Uh, are you going to talk about this movie? No, not really. No? Okay. Well, I, was, I, I like the uh, the musical sequence. The hair is probably my favorite. I hated that. I hated that only because it just like it came out. Because when it happened, I was like, oh, okay, so this is his. Like I know Spike is like a big cinema buff, right? So I was like, this is his music. This is going to be like his musical film. And he sort of did similar stuff in Chirac a little bit. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, this is going to be interesting if School Days like, but this is like it, that sequence happens, and then it's literally like over. Like, mm. there's no more of that yeah. really. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just like, well, I don't understand what the like. So there's, it just makes no sense. Like, it just feels like it's inconsistent and not oh, cohesive it, at all. It is. Yeah, and I, and I don't think that movie's good. I as a standalone. Scene, right. Sure. As a scene, really I mean, it's it. it's well made and everything. I yeah, the well choreographed. <laughs> anyway. All right, Kevin. Kevin. So, Inside Man. This is a movie that I had seen like a long, long time ago. Um, 
And I got to say, Willem Dafoe. I mean, the guy is just like, like, you know, as reliable and talented as Denzel is, like, same with Willem Dafoe. And, like, I don't think, you know, he gets... I think maybe on more of a grassroots level, people can appreciate him more. And I know he's gotten a little more attention because of uh, Florida Project. But, like, this is a guy who I really don't think gets the credit for being as good as he is. I think, you know, people just look at him as kind of a creepy looking guy and just go from there. But he doesn't the guy have, he doesn't is so have the, fucking good. the face of a star. Yeah. But that's, you know. The, yeah. You know, I just wanted to say real quick about mm. Inside Man is that um, it has. It, the budget is forty five million, so it's ten million dollars more than Malcolm X, but it's also fourteen years later. Wow! Right. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> you know, Yowza. yeah. And I mean, I think Inside Man, it's got a lot of its budget on screen. I mean, it looks really good, you know, yeah, I mean, the yeah. uh, set design and so on and so forth. So, yeah. And one of the things that I found interesting rewatching it, like uh, listening to the score of Inside Man, I hear a lot of Pelham One Two Three. Like, there's a lot of, like, big, like, deep brass in the soundtrack. And was, that, uh, was that Terrence Blanchard? Yeah, he does yeah, all of yeah. his stuff. Blanchard and Blanchard comes it. from jazz, you know, I, yeah, which I yeah. didn't know any of this before I watched uh, She's Gotta Have It and learned that uh, Spike Lee's father was doing the music and that Blanchard mm. was one of his trumpet players or whatever. Right. And uh, that's I thought that was really interesting how, because uh, I, li- I like uh, Bill Lee's scores in the early films are great also. But right. I think Blanchard's scores are fantastic, especially mm. in Malcolm X. So. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and I will say, like, most of the time I am not a big fan of Clive Owen. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of times I think he's just, you know, like, actively bad. But in this, I just found him kind of bland. So I, I think I'll give that to Spike Lee as an improvement on using him as an actor. Well, he's kind of a uh, monotone on purpose, right? In this movie. I think so. Like when he talks through the mask and everything, he's trying to not really reveal too much. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, like seeing him in like uh shoot him up and I'll sleep when I'm dead <laughs> or even sin city children of men. I, I, I am in the minority. I don't think children of men is a great film. What about his performance? though? It's all right. I don't either. A- actively bad. Oh, actively bad. Actively bad. Oh, I, w- I would say that he was like really just, Oh my, I can't even say phoning it in because that would have required like, the effort to pick up good, the phone. Good job, Clive. You walked, you walked through the building and it was one shot. Congratulations. He, good job. That's not, that's not on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. I don't know. I like, but, I like, like his, Clive like his, his bland, his like, bland deliveries and like his like un like i don't how about whatever uh, emotion he's trying to convey i'm just not convinced i hate to get off on this but now i feel like i have to defend clive owen how about how about closer it's been in forever since i've seen it i love him in closer have you seen the nick no no okay okay now this is a great clive owen performance the drug addict doctor okay okay (laughs) from the turn of the century okay i'm I'm willing to give that a shot yeah, it's only twenty six hours long. I have uh, I have both seasons on Blu ray. If you want to borrow them, <laughs> they're cool, terrific. Cool. But uh, yeah, what else? Uh, yeah, it's a it's pretty good. I he think it went on a, a little too shit. long, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's, and Jodie Foster has kind of found her niche in acting, like the rich, powerful woman who somehow rules the world. And that's 
just thinking of like that and like this like Elysium. Inside Man and Elysium. Like it's she's pretty much the same person. A little more bloodthirsty in Elysium, but you know, well, she doesn't really act very much. I mean, yeah, she hasn't been in a movie in a while. Right, I think she's kind of done with it. And she, the last movie she directed was a bomb. I think. So. Oh yeah, Money Monster. That was the uh, like the TV one. No money. Yeah, Money Monster. Yeah, yeah. Mm. With Clooney, uh. that went nowhere because Clooney is also like box office poison at this point. You know, he's like Johnny Depp or Will Smith. He's like this huge star that they keep keep giving these hundred million dollar movies to that fail. You know, but they keep doing it over and over again. Yeah, but, but he he takes what I would call ambitious projects that fail like money is it called a money monster yeah money monster mm. I, I don't know that doesn't seem like a super uh, no i agree commercial movie anyway. no I, I agree yeah that's fair i mean and he's also a pro- you know he's producing and he's directing and yeah so, you know whatever anyway um okay well uh Ah, oh, Jesus, there's so many Spike Lee movies. I'm already sick of talking about it. I watched Jungle Fever for the first time, um, which was probably my, I mean, easily my favorite first time watch of a Spike Lee movie uh, this go-round. Uh, it's a, a terrific picture about uh, Denzel, uh, not Denzel, <laughs> Denzel was supposed to be in it. Wesley Snipes, uh, who plays an architect, at a firm that's run by Tim Robbins and somebody else. I can't remember the other actor. And uh, he uh, he falls in love with his secretary who's... Uh, oh, they fall in love. I mean, they, they, they get together. He cheats on his wife with her. It's played by Annabella Sciorra, who I knew from Sopranos. She plays one of Tony's mistresses in a later season. But uh, they have sex. It ruins his life because it gets out uh, to his wife and his wife kicks him out and he ends up moving into an apartment with Annabella Shure. And it's just and the the whole film is about the conflict between the black community and the Italian community. Shure comes from an Italian family. Her father's played by uh, Philly Attardo from The Sopranos. I can't remember his name. Uh, Frank Vincent, who passed oh. away, I think. And uh, and his brother, her brother is played by Michael Imperioli from the Sopranos. He was also in other Spike Lee films. Um, Is John Turturro in this? John Turturro is in it and his performance is fantastic. He plays the love interest of Shiora who he runs a, uh, a little uh, coffee and newspaper stand that his father owns. His father is uh, Anthony Quinn. who's amazing also in this. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's just uh, this great film about race relations in New York city and, the the idea of kind of like what it means to be a racist i guess to an extent like if it goes both ways there's also this like side plot with samuel l jackson who plays wesley snipes brother who's a crackhead and his girlfriend halle berry who's also a crackhead and they like live in a crack den and uh their parents are uh played by ozzy davis and uh ruby d Oh, wow. And just amazing performances from everybody. I mean, I can't say enough good things about the film. It's like, I would say it's like pretty much where Spike becomes Spike. Like, I mean, obviously do the right thing is like the, the, you know, it's a, it's my favorite film of his. Okay. Spoiler. But like, this is like, he does the, the floating camera thing here multiple times. Uh, This is like the, the spiritual 
successor to do the right thing. You know, it's like all, it has all the same kind of themes, Mm. police brutality and racism and uh, things like that. And then also deals with the drug stuff. You know, I remember watching a, uh, the can press conference years ago and, uh, they actually talked about this on the Film Junk Premium also, but uh, Spike Spike's asked at Cannes why 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 nobody in Do the Right Thing does drugs, mm. and he's like, well, you know, that's like drugs are like a big topic, and he wanted to focus on just one topic for this film. It's like already big enough, you know. It's like we're gonna do wait to do the drug thing in a different film, and I was like, I always thought, well, he's never done that, but it's this is the movie he does it in this movie. It's ah. like this is the drug movie, you know, and it's just very um, sad and affecting and i don't know it's a terrific terrific picture that i don't understand why people don't talk about more you look at that cover you know it's got the the black hand and the white hand and it's called jungle fever and you just i've always thought i guess i kind of always thought it was like a romantic almost like a romantic comedy or something you know or like Mm. a romantic drama but it's really that's just like one small part of the film um it's just a great great picture and i do think if i had one problem with it it would be wesley snipes i don't think he's bad in it but I would have loved to have seen Denzel in the part. I think Denzel would have really cranked it out of the park. Mm. But, you know, wasn't to be. What was he doing at this time? I forget. Some kind of scheduling conflict. I f- uh. Maybe, uh, I don't fucking devil in a blue dress or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> whatever movie he was doing in 91. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't do it for whatever reason. He was in uh, Mo Better Blues with Snipes. Right. Which we can talk about later. Mm. Jungle Fever, great film. Cool. Jer? All right, I went, uh, I'll go backwards, or forwards for people, sorry. Uh, I watched Get on the Bus, which was made in a pretty quiet period. Uh, You know, 1996, this is post-Clockers. I think he had this and Girl 6 out this year, which I've never seen. And then he had I can't find uh, Girl 6 to watch anywhere. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's brutal. Yeah, so it, it, I feel like he was quiet for two years, uh, even though he released three movies in 96 <laughs> and 97, but just Pretty smaller, quiet. smaller deals before he got game. And 97 was the uh, the Four Little Girls documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Get on the Bus is about 15 or so um, men who board a charter bus in L.A. to be driven to the Million Man March in Washington, D.C., which was an actual event and happened in, 19, in 1995. I... Uh, I don't remember it at all, so I was seven. Um, this is apparently a big deal. Uh, and this movie was released exactly one year um, after the event happened. And uh, there were a bunch of you know recognizable 90s uh, black actors on the bus, like Andre Brower. Bauer is on a, he's like an arrogant, overcompensating actor. Ossie Davis is an old vet who missed the marches in the 60s. Harry Lennox and Isaiah Washington are... are just like a couple, like a gay couple on the rocks uh, who get a lot of flack from a lot of the people on the bus. From Bauer, um, yeah. You know, Thomas Jefferson Bird is on the uh, the bus. Who is, he has handcuffed himself to his son, which draws a lot of uh, questions and ire about you know like freedom. Uh, and Charles S. Dutton is the uh, organizer of the trip, and and then I think my favorite part is uh, Wendell Pierce you know, from The Wire and Tremaine and other things. He shows up briefly. Uh, they pick him up in Tennessee, I think. Yeah, in Memphis. Uh, and he's like this cigar-chomping black Republican. Uh, <laughs> and they tire of him very quickly and literally throw him off the bus. And it's, wow. it's, 
Um, and you know, it's this is a, a type of movie I don't like. Typically, it's a it's a movie where you know it's set up so that a bunch of strangers are together, and it's built around all of them having conversations. Those conversations, you know, are very revealing and emotional, and it's the kind of thing that just does not feel real at all. But uh, a lot of those conversations are very interesting. You know, it's conversations about race, uh, the perception of black men in America society, American society. I cannot talk today. I'm sorry. Um, raising black boys into black men, the role of police in black communities. It's a, uh, it, it's a lot, and uh, a lot of those conversations are really cool. Um, but as an entire two-hour movie of conversations, I, I don't, I just don't think it's quite enough for a movie. Um, and then, of course, there's like a big speech at the end, and. Uh, you know, it's like Spike Lee is capable of subtlety when he wants to be and capable of taking big, broad swings uh, that are effective. And I would not count this big swing as uh, an effective one. So, yeah, Fair. it's a three out of five for me. I think I gave it the same score. I didn't love it either. But, um, you know, you, you got to watch it. It's a Spike <laughs> Lee movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I agree with you. The Wendell Pierce scene is the is the best best scene in the film for sure, like far and away. And I found I, I was I was getting frustrated with Wendell Pierce, and I have like no stake oh, yeah. in any of that. You know what I mean? I was just like I was like, what is, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> Kevin. Uh, well, the next one that I watched was Five Bloods, so I don't know if y'all are ready. Let's to talk, talk about it. Yet. The Five Bloods. All right. This is uh, Spike Lee's new Netflix original. Yep. Yep, starring uh, the the All previously that. mentioned Clark Peters, uh, Delroy Lindo. Who else? Delroy Isaiah Lindo, Whitlock. Clark Peters, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Mm-hmm. And there's the, the singer who I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, singer. I don't know the the fourth the fourth guy. Pigeon Toad guy. Yeah. Um, it's like Danny Lewis or something. I don't know. Oh, it's got Norm Lewis. Norm Lewis. And, and Chadwick Boseman, obviously, is the, yeah, the flashbacks. Yeah. And, uh, and then also... Jean Renault. Jonathan Majors. Really. Yeah. Really like Jonathan Majors in general. Jean Renault is in it. And uh, some uh, some Vietnamese actors. And, uh, Melanie, Melanie Thierry. Thierry. Yes. Uh, the, and the fellow who is her skinny friend is in Black Klansman as one of the villains. Right. Oh, yeah. And we got Paul then, Walter Hauser. Right. Well. Uh, from... Uh, that that's, I mean, that's movie. Be it, right? Yeah, that's that one. <laughs> <laughs> Jasper Pankonen. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that, that was the guy in. Oh, okay, one. there you go. Uh, yeah, so uh, what did you guys think of The Five Bloods? Right off the bat, like, I don't know. I, I don't know this I don't know this actor or what, what else he's been in, but uh, Norm Lewis, like, I thought his character was pretty nothing and he kind of did very little with it. So like I would have been, I don't know. I could have seen somebody else like Reggie Cathay in this, in this role. Hmm. Um, I, th- I think it would have been, it would have been better, but I, um, I mean, I, to, to go off that point, I think, I think this movie is kind of like presented as an ensemble. Yeah. But then pretty quickly reveals that, it is definitely not a true ensemble it is mm. it is the Delroy Lindo show and yeah. Clark Peters is like 
are he, he you know he's like the leader and he besides delroy definitely has a lot more to do than mm. isaiah whitlock or norm or jonathan yeah. majors or anyone else yeah yeah, that's fair. Um, I, don't, I mean, I, 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 I don't like. Okay, I just have a, I have a lot of big problems with this movie. Like, I, mm. I, 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 at the end of the day, I enjoyed it. Um, but like, okay, the first like hour of this movie, where it's the four friends with the son and they they're in Vietnam and they're visiting bars and stuff. Mm -hmm. And outside of maybe that scene where they, they kind of can, they, they have that, that moment with the, uh, the two officers from the, they're in the bar too. And they're sending each other drinks or whatever. And Orlando gets mad. I like kind of like that scene, but like the rest of that stuff, I was like, I was kind of bored out of my mind during all that, a lot of that. I was like, like, let's get to the part where we're looking for the, the guy and then it flashes back and i'm like this flashback looks like shit like it's just so technically poor that and then it's like it's not something i'm used to from and i mean i i expected it going in i was like this movie does not have although i mean it has a 35 to 45 million dollar budget it says but like it just doesn't it's obviously not going to look as great as you know a movie that he made that's not for netflix you know what i mean right. but it's like i just i was just like it's just I was so disappointed with all the the flashback stuff and I don't have a a huge issue with the fact that the actors are, you know, in their 60s and they're playing themselves and the I, I think that that's kind of a I've heard him rationalize that in interviews and stuff and and also say that he said point blank he's like that Netflix wasn't going to give them 100 million dollars like they did to Scorsese to to de-age his actors, which I don't have a problem with cuz I don't I don't want that to become a thing where they de-age all the actors yeah, constantly. Yeah, yeah. But um, I just felt just like aesthetically, it just didn't work for me. It just, I thought it looked kind of ugly, and uh, I yeah, I mean, yeah. I I didn't mind that it was the the same actors, but I I did mind that you know in the first flashback in the helicopter and while they're moving, they kind of hide that it's the other actors. Like a lot of like you see like the backs of heads, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you don't see. You don't see like Clark Peters and Delroy Lindo really move yeah. much yeah. in those scenes. And it just, that part feels choppy and awkward. Like it does feel like Spike is like hiding the actors in the editing um, of that, especially like just like that gunfight sequence. And then it, you know, once the rest of the flashbacks are sitting down and listening to Chadwick Boseman, which I don't have a problem with those. Um, I mean, the, the, the flashbacks technically, I mean, they're shot on film. So I like that. Uh, but I like, it's just that the, it's that, that there, therein lies the problem. You're shooting something on 16 millimeter, which is going to show all your flaws. The minute you add computer generated effects into it. And it's just like, especially cheap computer generated effects like this, you know, this muzzle flash that they're adding to all the guns because nobody's firing a gun in this movie in those scenes anyway. And later on in the scenes, they actually are firing blanks. It looks like it looks, I think it looks pretty solid. Mm. Um, some of the action towards the back end, but but yeah, I mean that that was an issue for me. I, I I I've heard a lot about how great Delroy Lindo is in this movie. Uh. I don't I don't agree necessarily. Like I don't understand what why is I think his performance is lauded maybe because he's the best out of this bunch. And uh. I think that they're I think I kind of found them all kind of bad. 
I think he's just the most. Yeah, he's he's doing the most. I agree. And, and yeah. there's that scene, the scene before he dies, where he's got that long monologue, and I think that that's getting him a lot of um, yeah. attention. But I I just I was kind of like really underwhelmed with a lot of the performances in the movie. Right. Uh, you know. Yeah, I, like, I, I feel like only sorry, kind of. I was going to I felt the exact same way because I was going in thinking like Delroy Lindo. I like him in a lot of the stuff that I've seen and like seeing sure. him in Malcolm X. Like I loved him as West Indian Archie. You know, I thought he was like a perfect, perfect villain. He's good. He's in, but, he's in Crooklyn also as the father. He's terrific in Crooklyn. Yeah. And like, um, yeah. And then just seeing him just like chew the scenery and just being so over the top and ridiculous. I was like, uh, this is, this is not, this is not the Delroy Lindo that I know and love. I think it's just, yeah. I mean, it's the whole, I mean, I don't know. I I don't know if it's like the script's problem or if it's his problem. It's just, I, I felt, and I felt like the guy, Norm Lewis is like, he's awful. Like he's out of the, mm. out of the four actors. He's the one I'm like, I can't, this guy is the worst. And he's also, I mean, this is going to, this might be a nitpick, I guess, but like the timeline for this movie makes no sense to me. Okay. If they're in Vietnam in even in the, even in the early seventies and Clark Peters has a daughter. Why is she like 25 now? You know, she should be like 50. Yeah, well, it makes no like, sense. <laughs> yeah, like it, you know, ostensibly it's taking place in, I guess, either 2019 or 2020. Sure, but like the tours that they're talking about going on were like 65, 66, 67. Well, yeah. Sure. Now, so that, so you know, you've got like, you know, almost 50 years worth of 50, time more between than 50 them. Years. Yeah, it's just, it's yeah. So it's like absurd. <laughs> I don't. I yeah. I'll be. Up. I'll be honest. I like I thought about that while watching the movie, but also that does I don't know that does not bother me at all. What about yeah. the daughter? The daughter doesn't bother you that she's oh, no, the, in her twenties. The daughter bothers me because that character and her mother and just Otis's connection to them I just think is stupid and shouldn't. Have been I agree with that too, but I'm just yeah. saying that to, those, those to, were useless characters. I agree with that to yeah. include them. And it's just so glaringly obvious. It's like it'd be so mm. easy to say, "Well, let's just set the movie in 1995 or something." You know what I mean? Like, yeah, let's yeah. Just... But, but we needed the MAGA hat. Oh, exactly. I, yeah. I, I think but all I, the I Trump think shit. The, and look, I don't. I thought I was going to come on here and be alone, not liking Delroy Lindo uh, <laughs> or his character. It's really. I don't know if it's the performance or just like the character. I I respect what Spike was trying to do with uh, just like his conception of trying to make this character who is, you know, has gone over to like this MAGA side due to just like this, basically we'll call it just like awful life experience of, of going to this war and just the, the fear that he, he lives with because of PTSD and stuff that just like brought him to this other side. Um, but the execution of where that goes, I just, did not like at all and i i i did not think it was a good choice to just kind of turn the movie over to delroy lindo at points mm. and then especially because he's uh are we doing spoilers sure yeah okay the movies the movie's been out for a month but that month feels like three years so yeah. it's fine um it just it feels like uh like when delroy lindo is dispatched near the end there's like 25 minutes left and i'm like 
well, what's the movie going to be about now? Because yeah. <laughs> I just spent so much time with Delroy Lindo. Yeah. Oh, I forgot the other guys are waiting at an ancient temple for some reason. Yeah. I, I actually, see, that's the thing that I appreciated about the film was that it devolves into an action movie. And I, I like that because I was like, now we're actually, at least there's something to like mm. latch onto at this point. But before that, like the first hour of the movie, I'm just like bored out of my mind. They actually get to the, I remember they get to um Del, uh, Chadwick Boseman's bones, mm-hmm. and I was thinking. I remember thinking in the preview he pulls that rifle out of the ground in the preview in the trailer, and I was like, "That's going to be a great moment. Like that's going to be a really like emotional moment." And he like literally pulls that gun out and just throws it aside, and then keeps digging. <laughs> and I was like, "What are you doing? Like that's your buddy's gun. That isn't that like emotional yeah. for you?" And then when they see they the bones, they were there for the guns. I know, right? They see the bones. It's just like it's emotional for like a second, and then it's just like, "Let's find the fucking gold." All that all they care about is the gold. I was like, "This is so bizarre to me. It's just such a yeah a weird but way to go isn't about it." Isn't it weird to think that the movie like? rushes through these big moments but yeah it's so long yeah i know yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah you could shave an hour off this thing yeah <laughs> jr I, I think they could have, yeah. yeah i've got a question for you jr when did you find out that you were watching treasure of the sierra madre uh i mean pretty quickly once yeah they've gotten to the once they got into the jungle yeah and, and that's fine and like well like i don't I, have a I don't. I, I have a problem with doing that. I I didn't either until if you were blah blah blah. Where are your badges? We badges. Oh, yeah. We don't need no stinking badges. And yeah, I'm like, dude, was... come on. I didn't mind that. He's and got then, a lot and of. And then later like later on I, with I, Isaiah I like Whitlock Jr. Do shit. Like, I hated that. I hate that shit. Well, and you know, <laughs> you got to stop. And he that. does that guy. I wonder. If- is that just in his contract? Like he does, he does know. it in the wire in Chirac too. He does yeah. it in the wire and yeah. in, and in the twenty fifth hour he does it also. Yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, for goodness' sake! It's just like his thing, and it's just Y'all. it's annoying as fuck. It's not even like funny. It's just brutal. Well, in the in the show at least, like like Clay Davis as a character is so well written, and the inf- the. The couple of times that he does it with that much emphasis, like yeah. it's really more called for in the moment. And, and he's also and like, more than that. Like he's more yeah, than just yeah. a, a tagline. Yeah, like he's an integral part of the sh- of a lot of the things that happen in that show. But it, but like as just like the casual callback to this character that he played fifteen years ago, I was like, come on, y'all. It's brutal. Give give the man something else to work with. Yeah, I. But <laughs> so it those wasn't those were like big moments for me it. where I was like, oh my god, because like I don't mind homages, but now it's like just well, he, he now it's like I have to point out exactly what I'm homaging. You know, I was gonna say I meant to mention uh, that uh, you know, there's I'm having trouble recalling more than one, but there there are lots of instances of of Spike Lee putting in like overt homages to classic scenes like that. Like in, uh, in Mo better blues, he's walking in the street and a car almost hits him. And he said, and he slams on the hood. And he says, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Right. Right. And, uh, and then there's of course the, um, less an homage, but he, he starts off Klansman with the, um, the scene from gone, gone with the wind mm. playing, you know? So, I mean, it's just, like, I feel like I, for me, it's just like, it's just him, his love for movies, you know? Right. Like, right. Infusing he, in his I stuff. think he likes, he likes to call attention to the like the direct references. Yeah, and, 
sometimes it works better than other times. I agree. Right, right. Um, and and you know he also does the there's they're in a helicopter with Flight of the Valkyrie. Like yeah, he, yeah. That's a pretty direct callback as well. Um, I don't know. I um, the way that Norm Lewis is dispatched, I thought was. Oh, that bad. Was, it was comical. Like, like he's walking yeah. backwards. Like, I mean, we just had a scene where they're doing landmines. Come on, we know what's going to happen. Why is he walking? There's no reason for him to be moving slowly like this. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was a really bad attempt at suspense. Yeah, in the moment, and I, I didn't like it. However, yeah, and then I, I, I don't hate the Jonathan Majors scene after that. I thought that was better. The the yeah. scene where they pull him off. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, and like the the Norm Lewis scene, like the fact that like he's literally missing mo you know, like three fourths of his body, but he's still like ah, ah. And the cheesy like yeah, the it just it <sighs> felt like a it felt like an SNL sketch or something. I was like, This yeah. is just goofy looking, like his he's just bleeding everywhere and he's I mean, I was just I, I couldn't yeah. take it seriously. No, I mean well, it was just... And I and also I was like, I hate this character. I don't give a fuck what happens to him. Yeah. Like so I, mean... I don't like what am I supposed to be feeling here? You know? Right. <laughs> so I I gave this movie a negative rating. You guys gave it positive. Yeah, rating. I know. <laughs> so what was the what was well, the good stuff? I love the I like I said, the second half of the film uh, mm. once it I mean, honestly, even that the the, the the landmine stuff outside of that I thought was good. I liked the when they take those people hostage i feel like they could have done a lot more with that like mm. with the, the dissension yeah. within their group about it but i liked all that i liked all the action stuff i really liked the confrontation on the road where they uh where they do the stinking badges thing and the, they have the shootout and everything yeah and i like the action set piece at the end you know that's all the stuff that kind of brought it out and i mean the fact that that's all backloaded is probably what ended up affecting my rating in the way it did. Like my rating was going to be really low and then all that stuff happened and I was like, oh, this is pretty solid, you know? So then it just jumped back up. Right. Yeah, I mean, I gave it a three, but I mean, I don't know. If, yeah. I, wa- if I watched it again, it would probably go down. Yeah, it's it's not a, I mean, it's not a good movie necessarily. It's just like, it's, I felt like it was solid enough. Yeah, same. It's not his it's, worst at all. It's It's disappointing. Uh, it's disappointing watching yeah. all, and I I didn't watch this right when it came out on Netflix. I I had watched most of the Spike Lee stuff mm. um, at home before, and it is disappointing to watch all of these movies that I thought were, if not good, at least very interesting. Um, and to see the Five Bloods just I, I thought it was just disappointing. And it, you know, I've, I've come to expect the mess, to embrace the mess of a. Uh, or the messiness of a Spike Lee movie, and this one just it had so many execution problems that I could not get over. Mm. That's fair. All right, let's move on. Whose turn is it? So, <laughs> uh, technically, your turn. Me? John. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about my last two together because I rewatched um, Tim Burton's Batman and Tim Burton's Batman Returns, uh, which I believe is the only sequel he's ever directed. Correct me if I'm wrong. Hmm. Sequel to his own film, that is. He didn't do an Alice in Wonderland sequel? No, that was not him. He did the oh, first right. one. Good for him. Uh, yeah, so um, the first Batman film from 1989, I believe, starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson and Kim Basinger, mm. is a horrible piece of shit. And I don't understand why people hold this movie in such high esteem, unless you're just like, you know, you're a comic book fan or you're one of these people who thinks that, you know, 
Louis Armstrong is the greatest jazz musician because he was there before other jazz musicians or some shit like that. You know, like this started it all kind of thing. But really, this doesn't even this didn't really even start at all. This kind of molded the uh, the it brought us to where we are currently with superhero films or where we were currently maybe in like Mm. 2008 when Nolan was making his Batman films, you know, this idea of, you know, darkening the superhero film, uh, because obviously, I mean, like Superman came out, you know, 10 years before this movie was a huge success. But, um, this movie's just, I, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a Tim Burton movie to me. It doesn't have any of the kind of interesting, uh, gothic set design things like that i mean it's just it feels like you're in new york city in the 80s mm. uh i mean outside of some visual effects stuff that he does with you know landscape shots stuff like that uh there there are a couple of interesting moments like the, the cool visual moments like where the the plane the bat wing flies in it in the moon and it makes the bat symbol yeah, and then it yeah. falls back into the clouds like that that shit's good even though it makes no sense but yeah. it's still cool uh nicholson you know just I mean, I don't, you know, this is not one of his great performances. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know if people think it is. It, he's goofy and over the tie. He does exactly what this calls for, mm. but it's not terribly interesting or fun, in my opinion. Uh, Michael Keaton is good ish. <laughs> he, I, I don't know. He feels miscast, even though I like him as, as, Batman, I feel like maybe he's miscast as Bruce Wayne. There's always that mm. problem, that dichotomy yeah, of, you know, yeah, they're true. good as one but not as the other, you know. And yeah. I feel like maybe he's a little bit wrong for the for the Wayne character, but uh he's just a little goofy, you know. He's coming off of a lot of comedy work at yeah, this time. Yeah. But um so yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. I thought I was gonna rewatch it and really appreciate it. The action also, I'll say the action in it is pretty pitifully directed and not very good and mm doesn't have a like when you think of Batman especially the Batman that we know now from the Nolan films or from the animated series uh you know where does his training come from he's a martial artist right and it's like in this film he doesn't do any martial arts Mm. at all like and it's just kind of weird to see him he barely fights anybody really uh he's doing a lot of running around and hiding and Stuff like that. Now, this is in direct contrast to Batman Returns from 1992, where Batman's given tons of action work to do, especially uh, with uh, fistfights that he has with Catwoman, who is also inexplicably a martial artist, even though, you know, there's no no explanation for that. But it I don't know. It works. The, The movie is in a fantasy land. It does not look like New York City at all. It looks like a you know, like a dressed up back lot, which is uh, better in my opinion. I think the set design really kicks ass. It's very, very gothic, very weird. Um, Penguin's henchmen seem like they should have been Joker's henchmen. They're like circus clowns and stuff. Oh, that's right. And it's just like the the, the Joker's henchmen are like guys in leather jackets with a J on their <laughs> on their jacket. They're wearing like sunglasses and berets. I don't understand. Like, what what is what is this outfit that they're wearing? You know. And uh, so yeah, I, I thought that was more enjoyable. The 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 sequences where Penguin's henchmen are running amok in the streets and so forth. A lot of good stuff there. Michelle Pfeiffer wipes the floor with Kim Basinger. As far as uh, acting goes, as what? far was that? that was my phone. Sorry. Okay. Uh, as far as acting goes, and as far as the character goes, um, I'm not a big Kim Basinger fan though. Nah. 
and uh, yeah, I think I think uh, Returns is a, actually a really good movie, like a really solid. It might be my favorite Tim Burton movie. It's been a while. So, I mean, I haven't seen Ed Wood in a long, long time. I haven't seen. Um, I have never seen Beetlejuice actually, and oh. I hear that it's quite good. Wow. But uh, yeah, might be might be a, a Tim Burton list coming in the distant future. But uh, after I finish this Spike Lee business, yeah. you know that means watching like. All of his recent yeah, movies, yeah, yeah, too, right? Yeah, yeah, Dark okay. Shadows and Big Eyes. Jeez. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrified. Good, but, uh, <laughs> good luck. Good luck. <laughs> I feel like if I power through those, if I right, start right, with right. those and power through them and then get back to, you know, Beetlejuice is like my last one, my reward, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah. It's a frightening proposition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Batman Returns, terrific picture. Check it out. These are both, they were on HBO Max. I think actually they left at the end of June, but... Uh. Anyways, that's it for me. I got uh, I got one more. Last uh, Spike Lee movie of the week. Um, wanted to end on a high note. Uh, I watched uh, watched Chirac. Then, nice. Uh, you know, and John John covered this a couple episodes ago, so I won't like go back into the plot. But um, we we couldn't remember the name of the play that it's a, right. a retelling of, and it's a uh, Liza Strada. Mm. And uh, I knew that because. Sam Jackson mentions it in the first scene. Like Sam Jackson is our uh, is our knowing fourth wall breaking narrator who tells us that this is a retelling of a play, and um, the, all of that stuff. Like the, the breaking the fourth wall uh, with Sam Jackson was great because if if we didn't have like this thing that rooted this movie in like an ancient fantasy. Um, I don't think the juggling of the very broad comedy and like serious, sincere anger would have worked at all. Um, but it does. The The comedy feels like rooted in the structure of what this play is supposed to be and it allows the anger to, like at the social injustice, to uh, to exist right alongside it. And um, it, uh, I don't know, I thought it would, you know, again, be more of like a Spike Lee mess and I, I don't think it was really a mess at all i mean there's a fuck ton going on uh and not everything going on maybe needs to be there but i think most things really work uh even when like again the plot often does not make a lot of traditional sense like taking over the national guard armory is a very uh, silly thing to do and it would not play in any way like it plays out but there's a lot of great stuff that happens there um and uh yeah this is just really enjoyable the music stuff I thought was great. Um, performances are good across the board. Um, and uh, I think it's funny and just so typical of a New Yorker that Spike seems to think that Illinois is a state near the Deep South. Like, they take over the National Guard and all the Confederacy stuff. There's, like, a bunch of Confederacy stuff in the National Guard. And D.B. Sweeney, who is the mayor of Chicago, has, like, this southern fried twang in his voice i'm like where do you guys think chicago is (laughs) you don't you don't think because you know new york and you know la and the rest of the country is just in the middle i mean it's Uh, probably it's more of a uh a thing to uh elicit that kind of i know know. right you know it's like it's like these are the these are the villains of the film they're the racists of the film they Mm. should be southerners right right i have a so Instead I, of speaking I, with British accents, exactly, the villains are exactly. speaking yeah. with Southern accents. Just my my brother went to school in uh, in New Jersey near New York. Um, is very 
wealthy school. And when I visit him a couple of times, just the people I met who were, everyone I met was either from the Northeast or California. And they just, they never, they never knew any goddamn thing about any city in the middle of the country. They're just like, I don't know, where's New Orleans? Like, oh my God. How did you get to Princeton? All right. Uh, The, uh, I was going to say also that um, I was going to ask how you felt about Nick Cannon's performance. I, I mean, didn't love him specifically, but I thought he I thought he worked um, when he is like moody and angry about not having sex. I think he is less interesting than when he is, you know, excitable and being the rapper on stage and, uh, you know, where he gets to at the end. Um, you know, as far as the gang members go, I was really more impressed with uh, Wesley Snipes just because he was a lot of, he seemed to be having a lot of, fun. I wish Wesley Snipes was in it more. Yeah. I loved yeah. Wesley Snipes on it. Cyclops. <laughs> and, and yeah. And again, I, I loved, I, her name is Tiana Harris, I believe. Oh, the star. Yeah. She's terrific. She, yeah, she's great. And uh, and Isaiah Woodlock Jr. does a very long she it in it, course, and it's his only scene. Of course, scene. he does. He's a he's a club owner for <sighs> two seconds. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, mm. Glad you enjoyed it. it. All right, Kevin. Yeah. So my last two, I was still on a Denzel kick, so I watched uh, Philadelphia because it was on Netflix, and uh, was interested to see uh, Demi's follow-up to Silence of the Lambs after not having seen it for, you know, forever. Um, And I think it still holds up pretty well. I really like Tom Hanks and Denzel. And, like, I think it's, uh, especially now, you know, 30, 30 years removed, it's interesting to see, like, just how, like, blatantly homophobic uh, Denzel's character is and, like, see his character's progression through the movie as he you know learns that you know gay people are people too and i like the fact that like he does learn that lesson but there's no there's no like disney movie disney moment where like he sees some injustice and he's like homophobia is bad (laughs) you know because like you know I, I think that kind of thing happens way too often in a lot of movies where it's like, you know, racism's bad, homophobia's bad, uh, whatever is bad, et cetera, sure. et cetera. Um, so, yeah, like, it wasn't a perfect one. Like, I I was remembering the scene with uh, Tom Hanks, like, listening to the opera as a much more emotional thing, but, like... And, like, you know, that's kind of the moment where, like, Denzel's character really takes a turn. But, like, his character is so in shadow most of the time. Like, you really don't see, like, the emoting that he's doing. So, I think it, like, really kind of undercuts that scene. Well, the emotion is about Tom Hanks' emotion in that scene, right? Right. But, but, you know, it's the two of them, you know, like, having having a moment. Um, But, yeah, like... The acting is really great. Uh, Mary Steenburgen is fucking great. Like, I love Mary you just, Steenburgen. Yeah, like, you just hate her so her character so much. She just, like, just... Ugh. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, like, uh, yeah, like, Roger Corman and uh, Jason Robards and uh, Charles Napier. Like, everybody's good in this movie. 
Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas is great. I remember that yeah. being the scene that affected me the most was the deathbed between them. Yeah, yeah. It was really heartfelt. Yeah. And and then the last movie that I'll talk about real quick, there's, you know, uh, I finally got around to seeing Jojo Rabbit. I loved it. Not going to, you know. Of course you did. Yeah, I Taika mean. Like Waititi. You well, love this guy. Well, also, <laughs> like, like um, you know, there's... Uh, there's the op- there's the opening couple of scenes, and then over the credits, like you you hear the first chords of uh, "I want to hold your hand" by the Beatles, and I'm like, wait a minute, is this the German version? And then it is, and at the end they play the German version <laughs> of uh, "Heroes," and it's like perfect. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> so like it these are like... these are things that get forgotten about. Like no one like on aside from like people like Taika us Waititi who are Bowie is fans. So cool. He's just so fucking hip, man, isn't he? Look, look, the look, coolest guy look, on earth. Look, I don't know if Jr. is going to talk about it at any point, but like, he's not like Paul Dano, where he's like searching for like you know seventy eights from the fifties. I'd say he's worse. He's, he's, he's like wannabe oh, Wes Anderson. All right, Park. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't, Dude, like, I don't even like Wes Anderson, but he's like, he like Taika Waititi wants to be Wes Anderson. He doesn't though. If you saw his movies, I mean, you would see he's not like Wes. To Anderson be fair, I haven't seen any of his films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I that's that's why I said Park okay, Park. Park because like he said the same thing. Like, oh, this is just you know Wes wanna be Wes Anderson. It's like, <laughs> dude. I just as, I mu- mean, as I much guess... as he sh- as much as he shits on Wes Anderson mm-hmm. all over Letterboxd, is like you love the same indie crap. Oh, he yeah, he's so his, his like taste, you can just chill out. His tastes friend. are dubious, but uh, <laughs> but um. You know, and I get, again, to be fair, I haven't seen any Taika Waititi stuff, but yeah. he just strikes me as a very, uh, like Wes Anderson in that he is, he seems to be very, very uh, style over substance. See, I, think, I, I, see, I, I would disagree, but you know. This is a bad take. I don't, I don't like Jojo take. Rabbit, but this is a bad take. I haven't I seen Jojo Rabbit. I'm not, I don't have a take on Jojo Rabbit. I have a take on Taika Waititi based on not seeing any of his films right. and hating his and guts. I, and <laughs> he, there is no sense of preciousness with Taika Waititi films. He he commits hard to the genres that he's working in, which is something that Wes Anderson I don't think does because he he makes every genre. A Wes Anderson movie. Yes. Yeah, Taika Waititi yeah. works within genres very happily. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's and why I still regard styles. Ragnarok as the best Marvel movie. Yeah. Comedy style is, is nothing like Wes Anderson's. But, you know, we could argue this all day because John hasn't seen one of his fucking movies. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and I probably won't. <laughs> I'll see one I don't, if he... I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I am not. In love with Taika, I enjoy yeah, yeah, yeah. doing the shadows a great deal, and I just started watching that uh, television show. And I, I would watch. The show is fucking brilliant. I think uh, what we do in the shadows would be the film that I would watch if mm. I had to watch one. And you should watch because it, I've it's heard really funny. I've heard good things about it. Yeah, but yeah. Um, you know, I hear good things about a lot of his movies. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to our deep dive. Notorious. This is Jr.'s pick. It's from 1946. It's directed by Alfred Hitchcock. It stars. Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman and Claude Rains. Yeah, I, you know, I picked this movie to watch like three years ago, and uh, I didn't even want to watch it anymore. I, was, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't even in the mood. You guys suck. 
But no, I'm kidding. Uh, this is a. I was uh, like, Where's this coming from? <laughs> I, was just, I don't know. You should have changed I, your pick, man. I was man. like, man, watching this Alfred Hitchcock movie that I love is going to be such a fucking chore because <laughs> uh, it's not available to stream anywhere. I know, right? It's on it's on Criterion Collection, but you can't stream it on the Criterion Channel. What kind of bullshit is this? Which means I had to download this ancient criterion dvd rip which is a screener copy because it has fucking cigarette burns in the fucking film strip like it does, it doesn't look good at all this one i downloaded Sorry, that came out on accident <laughs> i'm just i just know like the, the 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 new blu-ray is probably like a 4k you know rescan of the original film negative or something it probably looks amazing compared that's, to the shit i watched that's how i watched it it's beautiful <laughs> i'm just thanks i just need to i just need to buy it because because I love it, I don't know why I didn't buy this anyway. But yeah, uh, just buy the so Blu-ray. This, yeah, it's uh, it's World War II. You guys, you guys have heard of it. Uh, Inger Bergman's father has just been convicted of being a German spy. She throws a sadness party for herself, and uh, Cary Grant's intelligence agent recruits Bergman to spy for America. Uh, the two America. quickly fall America. for each other. You know, she's asked to go undercover and seduce uh, Nazi agent Claude Rains, who's holed up at a mansion in Rio doing. We don't really know what for a long time. Um, Grant refuses to ask her to refuse the job. And the film turns into uh, kind of like this romance of refusal. The two refuse to admit feelings for each other for the sake of this job. And instead continue finding ways to wound each other. Every time they see each other, they uh, have only mean things to say. And uh, Hitchcock and Ben Hecht kind of, I would say for me seamlessly weave this romance into an almost typical like spy noir about taking down uh, a nazi and uh, i think the hitchcockian suspense is masterful though much more it's much more low-key than some of his other classics this is a it's a pretty quiet uh, hitchcock movie in more more than one way and uh the romance is often heartbreaking and uh, both sides of the story work because of the three performers that you just mentioned and uh you know, before I get you guys' thoughts, I just want to start with the beginning of the movie, which I think is some masterful direction. Uh, Grant is introduced with his back to the camera and in the shadows while the rest of this party that uh, Ingmar Bergman is throwing and its guests are very well lit and there's lots of like music and I wouldn't say they're having a good time like because, you know, Bergman is clearly upset, but... Um, you know, it's a party, and it's uh, it's just Hitchcock showing off uh, his visual chops and establishing from minute one the darkness in uh, Grant's character because, it, like, he is cold and stoic, and I think from the first minute we meet him, we are set up to not like Cary Grant, and it's uh, it's pretty against type. He is like he wants something, and he's pretty ruthless throughout the movie. Uh, you know, I know he he thaws at times, but yeah. So, uh, what'd you guys think? Start start your shit. <laughs> I well, I just want to talk about that about Cary Grant uh, that you're set up not to like him. Uh, I I liked Cary Grant. I liked his character. I liked his performance. Yeah, you like? Yeah. No, I I mean I like. I no, like I know. I'm I'm saying you're saying his character is cold and harsh. I don't necessarily agree yeah, you, with that. You just you loved when he just you know he's like, I need something from you. You're in your car and you're freaking out. I'm just gonna slap you. Yeah, I like when he knocks her out. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, she was getting a little oh, mouthy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that uh, I like 
I like that he's she seems overly attached to him very early for no reason like at all like she says she's in love with him after like I mean we're like 10 minutes into the movie she's like I love you and well, and he won't it's like yeah he won't admit that it's because I, I was like I don't blame him for not admitting that why would the fuck would you love this woman you just met her it makes hey, no fucking hey. sense whoa whoa did you miss the quick montage it was like 40 seconds long <laughs> of okay. what we I have, must have missed it. What was it? And and I I, I do think this is uh, what you're mentioning. I think is just a sense of of economy. Like I agree. I mean, it's the time period. It's just tell the story of the courtship. Mm, of course, of course, of course. And I totally understand that. And that's why I forgive it. That like I don't care. Like when they when they're there's that scene and she says she loves them him and then they kiss. I'm like at, like when that happened. I was like that's gross because it just seems like it's happening out of nowhere but at the same time i was like but this is a movie from 1946 so like i understand that that it, that needs to be there to progress the plot but then honestly i reconsidered it and i kind of enjoyed it more more as it went along because the romance part of it because he wasn't into her like that's what i liked about it. i like the fact that she kept like it seemed like she kept trying to push the relationship on him and he just like was not terribly interested in it. Like he's way, way more interested in getting his job done, getting this guy busted and he's going to tell her whatever she needs to hear to make sure she does her job. But if he wasn't, okay. So that, that last part just answered my question. He, cause he does, he clearly antagonizes her. Yeah. And, and you're saying it's not because he wants to be with her. Although I, I've, kind of feel at the end i mean he's probably i think i think the ending i mean not to jump to the end but his rescue of her is the moment when he if he has feelings that's where they're coming that's where they're congealing into actual feelings he she's in trouble and he needs to help her and you know it's like i care about this woman i got to get her out of here more so than she's a fellow agent and i need to rescue her you know Mm. it's probably more personal at that point but like before yeah. that, I feel like it's all about his job, and that's I like that's what I like about. It. I thought his performance, her performance is fantastic, also. And this is I'm a I'm unschooled and uncultured. I've never seen a Cary Grant movie. I've never seen an Ingrid Bergman movie, and this is my second Hitchcock movie. Okay, but I thought that the two performances from those two and Claude Rains's performance was great too. But particularly Grant and Bergman were like phenomenal performances. Like we, I I actually wrote it in my notes. They're better than I would have thought performances could be in 1946. Mm. Like they're good. They're very natural. And I mean, just they, I mean, they worked. Yeah. In, in my opinion, they are better than almost all performances. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, I think the performances we really are, are are stunning. I um. Oh fuck! I I had an argument and I just fucking oh, forgot it. Kevin, what'd you think? <laughs> So, uh, for for a long time, Claude Rains was my favorite actor, like basing this off of uh, his performances in Robin Hood and The Invisible Man. I thought like he was just so fucking good. And this like seeing seeing him again in Notorious, I think this is like the third time that I've seen it. Like he's just so he's so fucking good. And like I just love how like natural he is and also like like he's like the you know he's so good at being the jilted guy who's like you know wants to like just shower her in affection but he's also trying to like reel back because he doesn't want to get hurt and like you know yeah I, you know nazi you know that that honestly and also he's a nazi sure what? <laughs> 
Well, that, well that's, that's the, the Nazi that's the stuff thing. is weird. The Nazi stuff is weird. Well, yeah, yeah the is. Nazi stuff is weird, but like at the same time, it's like you know, you really even though he's a Nazi, like, and even though this is 1946, where you're just supposed to punch and kill Nazis, you feel so much for this Nazi because of Claude Rains's performance. And yeah. but like and yeah, and I love Cary Grant, but like the real winner in this movie is Ingrid Bergman. Like she is just fucking killing it in every scene she's in. And yeah, like the only like small nitpicks I would have with the movie is like, yeah, sometimes things tend to happen a little too fast, like with the romance or then towards the end. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? I would actually rather have a very, you know, clean and easy one than some stupidly convoluted spy evidence bullshit. You know what I mean? And I think it was just a smart choice to to kind of shape this in the mold of like a noir B-movie where it is shorter Instead of the big sweeping romance war movie that it could have been from the era, I, yeah. you know, that I don't think this being 135 minutes would have done it a single favor. Right. You know, I understand we might have had more courtship, but at the end of the day, I don't want that. I, I don't. I don't disagree with that. I think that. Um, okay. Well, I, I mean, so I have issues with the movie, uh, mainly. No in the in the pacing of it and the plot is the the fact that I would have preferred I don't mind the romance stuff being there especially since it's it feels very one-sided to me it feels like it's all her and he's not terribly interested and I like that I like that idea and I like the kind of triangle that forms between the three of them and how Claude Rains feels very threatened and everything I like Claude Rains a lot in it and mm. I, I like the the performance of his mother also I thought oh, yeah, she was yeah. terrific very evil um, it reminded me of a, a Manchurian Candidate yeah in yeah. both both versions of Manchurian Candidate but yeah. um uh but my my issue would be that the the stuff that's really good in the movie all the kind of minor espionage kind of stuff that's going on, the key and the, and the wine bottle and the, uh, the stuff with the Nazis, you know, the mm. scene when, when, when they're that, that scene, when the guy makes the fuss about the wine bottle and they, they kill him essentially, but you don't, you know, it's implied that he's dead. Yeah, yeah. Like that's a, that's a terrific. I could have used so much more of that. I would have liked the movie to have been more of that. Like the final scene when he goes to get her is so like for me, I was, that was nerve wracking. Like when he's mm. in her room and he's like talking to her, I was like, they're going to walk in any second here and they're going to catch you. And then you're going to be fucked. And I know yeah. that he's not going to be fucked. Cause it's like, he's Cary Grant. He's going to, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I was like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know if this guy's armed. Like, I don't know what's going on. You know, like, how's he going to get her out of here? That's what I was thinking. Like, how are you going to get her out of this house without them knowing? And then he just, like and I was I was I was like this is a very like suspenseful scene. I was like obviously Hitchcock, you know, master of suspense. And then he they leave the room, and literally Claude Rain just walks up the stairs and they confront each other at the top of the stairs. I was like this is great too. I was like this is like a it's just such a real moment. It's just yeah. this is exactly how it would happen. And I love the. The dialogue between them going down the stairs about like how he's essentially reasoning with Claude Rains. So they needs to yeah. let them go. But I was like, I could have used a lot more of that in the film. Like, I want the yeah. the movie to be like a 
pressure cooker of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And the way that when they get to the the car and they drive away and then he walks back in the house and it's the end of the film. I was like, I understand why that's the end of the film because everything's sort of resolved itself. But I was like, that's such a abrupt ending. It felt so abrupt. It felt just like out of nowhere. Just like, wow, the movie's over. That's it. You know, and right. like we didn't get any kind of like, there's no resolution yeah. to Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman's relationship. You know, I mean, they're like, other than the fact that you can assume they're going to be together after she gets better, I guess. But I mean, like, you don't know that. Mm. And, and I mean, obviously it's 46 and they didn't show the other guy dying. They're not going to show them killing Claude Rains. And I don't have a problem with that. I just, I don't know what it could have been after that, but it just felt like it ended in a really strange spot for me. It felt like we were in the middle of tension still and mm. it ends. That's all. Yeah. And I also will say my, this is a, this is a, this is not even a nitpick because I kind of like this, but the movie is this. <laughs> I, I wrote down my notes. It's the sky captain in the world of tomorrow of its time because it's literally like lots of it is in front of rear projection. Like oh, yeah, tons yeah. of it is in front of rear projection. Like when they're yeah. on the, the streets in Rio, I mean, when they're in the cafe in Rio, like all that shit's rear projection behind them when they're in the car, obviously. But then like, there's the weird shot of her and the hairs in her face and the hairs like blowing in front of the camera. Yeah. Like there's such strange choices to show that. Like we could tell that she's got her hair in her face just by showing her right. hair in her face, but I don't mind it. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, and, and like I actually really like her portrayal of being drunk because it's not just, you know, the slurring words and rah, rah, rah. Like she's like still kind of like got her faculties about her, but she's just, you know, really blunt and really, um, you know, just kind of kind of woozy as opposed to like the falling down, like could pass out any second drunk that you see like drunk drunks portrayed as so often especially in you know movies of this time just still i'm sorry just still on the special effects the there there's like a shot in the rear view where they have you know like an obvious like a camera shot in the rear view oh yeah like they've yeah. superimposed it there's another scene like that where she's looking at the binoculars and you see the reflection of the horses in the binoculars that's obviously like superimposed but just like cool kind of an interesting idea this shot, the or the first special effect shot of the film, them looking through the courtroom doors, and you see the doors on both sides, and mm. they're just laid on top of the actual, you know, the the film itself. I thought that was kind of a kind of a, just just interesting. I remember uh, watching Vertigo in college, and the professor talking about how they shot the scene at the um, Golden Gate Bridge, and how it like cuts between rear projection and the actual scenery yeah yeah and he was trying to he was trying to say that it was you know hitchcock talking about like reality or whatever i don't know if that's true but but uh you know i just it's interesting to me that he's so um he's got so many special effects in the movie because it doesn't feel like it should be a very special effects driven Mm -hmm. film (laughs) i mean it's not they're not you know typical special effects they're like camera effects but i also say that the uh the first piece of imdb trivia spoils the wine bottle Oh. So if you haven't seen this film, don't huh. read the trivia first because it, it tells you immediately That's weird. what's in the wine bottle. Mm. <laughs> and it spoiled it for me. So, uh, you know, watch out. Sorry. Bummer. It's all good. Um, so I had, I had two things I wanted to mention. Um, first is how much uh, sex is in this movie or how much sex is talked around in this movie. Um, I There are just still some you know, Hayes code 
movies that just astound me with their ability to make sex so clear but never actually talk about it. Mm. Uh, it's it's a trick of writing that fascinates me. But every just like every time like we have the agents in our room together like talking about Ingrid Bergman, they they seem to be talking about uh, sex and like I love uh, Bergman talking to the agent like when they're talking about how uh, Grant is transferring to Spain and uh, she just says like oh it must be a bore for him now and the guy's like oh of course this all is a uh, more or less routine now just referring to how you know you're prostituting yourself for this uh, cause you've married this guy it's a uh, and you know like. Grant at one point is like, oh, back to the bottle again when she's sick and she's not drinking. But she's like, yeah, it helps lighten my chores. Again, just talking talking about fucking. Lots of talking about fucking. That's the one I noticed the most when she said that. I was like, oh, she's like, that's an obvious reference to the, the wifely chore, right? The <laughs> having to yeah. having to bang this guy. But even even once they like assign her the job before Kay Grant tells her, they're just talking about like, oh, like a woman of her virtue would have no problem with this. It's, oh, yeah. uh it's it's it is brutal the way that they talk about her um but then the other thing i thought was interesting as i was watching this i was like this is 1946 and it takes place in world war ii it is weird that we are getting even like a semi um sympathetic like portrayal of a nazi here Uh, well then i realized well i was gonna like i realized that uh Instead of like making him an evil monster, what they do is make him a little bitch who is slave to like oh, he's yeah. a little mama's boy bitch uh, at the end of this. And he, you know, and even at the end when they get in the car, he is desperate to go with them because he is a little bitch. He's scared. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course he's scared. That's yeah, your so headache. Most people would be scared <laughs> to die. But, um, I was. I, I was going to say. Really I'm sorry. I was just going to say that, like, as, as far as the timeline goes, I mean, 46 is a year after the war ended, mm. right? So it's like, uh, in my mind, I was watching it thinking these are escaped Nazis and they're trying to create a bomb device or something to maybe bring bring the Nazis back or something like that. Right, you know? right. Because they're in the Rio. Side. They're in South America. I mean, yeah. that's where Nazis go, right? Yeah. And apparently I, they knew about that back in 46. So right. well, it was never a secret. It is, I guess I could tell that they never mentioned the year, and I don't think they mentioned, like, the war being over. Mm. But, like, I know that her dad is convicted of being a spy, but I didn't know, like, if he was caught at the end of the war or... Yeah, it's hard to... Yeah, I agree. I mean, Big yeah. Ben Hecht could have written the film two years earlier, you know what I mean, or three years earlier when the war was going on, so it's, like, hard to hard oh, to sure. pin down. But, mm. but uh, I, I want to say uh, a couple of things. One... Uh, there's there's an aspect ratio change at the very beginning of the film where the the credits are kind of over like a super eight almost like a slide film kind of looking thing of scenery of Miami and then it changes like the the the, the frame literally enlarges into its uh, whatever golden ratio one three three to one you know classic I thought that was really interesting I don't think I've seen that in a film older than this uh, I think Ingrid Bergman is uh, just a stunner just a beautiful woman. <laughs> Just wanted to say that for sure. Uh, yeah, you're, you're first person that's ever said that. That's I crazy. know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, like again, I have not seen a film with her before. Um, I, I, th- this is a nitpick, but I wish they would have found the bottle more cleverly. 
Mm. I wish it would have been more interesting. Like it was accidental how they found it. And I was like a little lame, like pretty, pretty, pretty lame. Like (laughs) you could get a little bit more clever with that more detective work. Uh, And my favorite thing in the entire film, the zoom in on her hand. You know what I'm talking about? When she's holding the key in the party. Oh, okay. And the zoom from like the top of the stairwell all the way down through the part. I don't even know how the fuck they did that. Yeah. All the way down to her hand, like a close up of her hand. Amazing. Like, I was just like, that was some technical masturbation that I can really get behind. Yeah. That's some good stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's some Kalatazov shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I really enjoyed that. Um, so, I mean, really, my only issues are with the, like I say, with the pacing. And with what they choose to spend time on instead of the things that I find interesting. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know. Other thoughts? I'm all out. All right. Star ratings. Four and uh, a half. I guess I'll... Yep. Fine. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is... Yeah, it's, it's, still, it's still just a, a hard a hard five for mm. me. Okay, well... I I wrestled with this one, okay? I don't want to prolong this, okay? But How I, mad do I want to make sure? No. <laughs> when I ended the film, I thought it was a three. And that's because of, like, I'm just basing that on the things that I've talked about, my enjoyment of it. But now that I'm looking back on it, I'm thinking, like, a lot of the, like, I appreciate some of the things that you guys have said about it. And I almost feel like I want to rewatch it. And um, I feel like I might be it might have been rubbed me the wrong way the way the print looked when I was watching it, you know, again with the, the, the kind of nasty looking. Uh, and I feel like maybe if I had watched it on a Blu-ray, it would have been better. I'm going to give it a three and a half. Cur- uh, curbside pickup, dude. Get that. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I should do that. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a three and a half. It'll, I, I can't imagine it going lower on a rewatch. It'll probably go up, but I just need to see more Hitchcock. I feel like that's a part of it too. Seeing, judging it within his oeuvre, you know, maybe seeing how much better it is than the other films, uh, or how much worse, who knows, but, um, for me, but, uh, I know this is JR still your favorite. Yes. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that's a, like, I, it's probably not a common favorite just in the sense that, you know, so many people have things like um, Rear Window and Vertigo and things shit like that as their like favorite movies of all time. Um, but yeah, I love it, and I think this is my most seen Hitchcock movie, maybe outside of uh, The Birds, which I saw as a kid, and Psycho, maybe. I don't know. Well, I have Psycho on Blu-ray. I was going to try to watch it for this episode, but, you know, just had to watch Better Call Saul instead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, Fucking kill me. So on our next episode, it's not going to be anybody's pick. We're going to review Herzog's latest film, Family Romance LLC, currently streaming on Mubi.com. They have a seven-day free trial if you want to check that out. Uh, until next time, visit our website at filmiac.podient.co. Email us at filmiacpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.